This is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. Do you believe in UFOs? What if I told you it's possible, even probable, that high-level government agencies, agencies with even more power than the President of the United States, have been concealing information about unidentified aircraft for decades? You'd think I'm a kook, right? What's this guy who interviews stars doing looking at the stars? Well, as you can tell from the theme of this week, a hobby of mine is the unexplained. Plus, just think about it. The sheer probability that we are alone in the vastness of the universe just seems improbable, doesn't it? I'll say it. I believe our government knows more about the situation regarding unidentified aircraft than they are willing to let on. The recent admissions by the Navy that two oddly shaped aircraft captured on a pair of official in-flight videos. Remember the Tic Tac videos? The Navy confirmed they are indeed unidentified. That is proof enough for me that something is going on that we don't know about. Now, are these phenomena the stuff of extraterrestrials or are they the stuff of unknown black budget projects from foreign countries? That I leave up to you. Are there crazies out there that posit some deep state conspiracies? Of course. See that in the election? We see that in everything. But that's not what I'm getting at. It's a simple question of national security. That's what I'm concerned about. And what is withheld from the public at large for the good of society. It's entirely plausible they could be doing that. Richard Dolan is the most level-headed expert at explaining this. We delve into all manner of UFO phenomena. From reported sightings to evidence the government is trying to protect us from their existence. All I ask is that you set aside what you think and feel about the possibility of extraterrestrial life and hear him out. Now, you might have seen some of his work on television. He's a commentator. He's out there talking about this. I was watching a series on Netflix. I said, he seems sane. He doesn't seem like he has any crazy conspiracies and he would be fun to talk to. And he really, really was. We talked for over an hour across, I think, two SD cards because mine was running full. Here now with analysis that may change your perspective regarding what is beyond the stars, our interview with Richard Dolan. Richard Dolan, welcome to Talk for Two. How are you today, sir? Very well, thank you, Matt. I'm happy to be here. Well, I have to say I'm thrilled to have you because what I don't get to explore a lot on this show, what we don't get to talk about are, is our UFOs. And I am actually very, very fascinated by the phenomenon, by the accounts, by what's been confirmed now by the U.S. Navy. And I found Hangar 1 landed on Netflix, I think, actually the week that the Navy uh, made its other disclosure recently. And I've been starting to watch it, and I became fascinated with what you had to say. So before we dive into some of the current issues of today, I want to know about you and your fascination with UFOs. Where did that start? Yeah. Well, a very long time ago, uh, about 25-plus years ago, I thought I was going to wrap up a PhD in U.S. Cold War history. That was really my direction back in my late 20s. Um, I was studying all about Harry Truman, the origins of the CIA, relations with the Soviet Union, and so forth. Nothing to do with flying saucers, nothing to do with UFOs at all. And I 
I remembered walking into a bookstore in the early 1990s and I saw a, a book called Above Top Secret, The Worldwide UFO Cover-Up. And I think that really caught my attention. And I thought, wait, UFOs, like even in the 90s, everyone was sort of aware that there were claims of a cover-up and all of this. I knew nothing about it. And uh, I remember browsing through the book. I, I since became very, very good friends with that author, Timothy Good. I remember looking at that thinking, wow, there's a lot of interesting documents. And uh, thinking, oh, I know who that person is. I studied his biography, and I read that person's autobiography, and I read all about this department. It's like, wait, what, UFOs? Why had I never read about this in any academic history book ever? It does appear that there's a serious treatment here. And my initial question wasn't even, are UFOs real? I wasn't even close to there yet. I simply wanted to know, was this part of our history, were there leading generals, were there leading intelligence officials back in the 40s, back in the 50s, who were engaged in this subject, who took it seriously? And if they did, why did they take it seriously? And also, if they did, why had I never read about it in any single academic history textbook ever? Because even if they were mistakenly interested in UFOs, I thought, how is that not interesting? In what universe is that not interesting? Like, that's very interesting. So I honestly, I thought I would spend two or three months of my life, and I had this idea, well, I'll just dive into this subject, figure it out, and I'll move on. Yeah, well, that was a nice thought. Uh, I became instantly obsessed because what I discovered, I bought that book, by the way, it's a good book, and I dove into a lot of other sources, and it didn't take me long, honestly, to realize that, yes, indeed, this subject was taken absolutely seriously by top-level military and intelligence people during the uh, Second World War and beyond, and they never stopped being interested. And I tried to figure it out, like, did they resolve this? Did they figure it out and then decide, nope, nothing to it? Nope, they never did. Absolutely never. And in fact, what I quickly learned is that through declassified documents through the Freedom of Information Act, which we can thank the 1970s for that, uh, a large number of uh, declassified documents became available, and, and anyone can read them. Most of them, are, many are available through web searches. And they tell an interesting story. The story is that time and again and again and again and again, there were violations of very sensitive airspace by objects that just did not have any explanation whatsoever, not in terms of how they looked, not in terms of how they behaved. And when you read serious document after serious document, uh, trying to understand what this is, you know, I mean, how many of these does one have to read before you realize this is actually a real phenomenon? The leaders of our national security have been taking this seriously, and they've been lying to us all this time. So, all of that didn't take me long to, to dive that deep in. And I've been in that that ever since for the past quarter of a century. It has definitely become my life. And I wrote a couple of uh, large volumes of history on this. I call them UFOs and the National Security State. I wrote a few other books on the subject. And I, I write pieces and uh, do video and do presentations on this all the time. That's, that has become my life. So where do you think we are in terms of first, I know none of the lingo, so forgive me if I'm 
come across as ignorant. I'm interested in the subject, but I haven't had the time, even though I've had the want to do as deep of a dive as I would love to. Uh, so if I mess up any of the language here, please forgive me. But do you think we've made diplomatic contact with uh, extraterrestrials? Do you think there is... I don't mean to dive off the deep end right away, but I mean, how far do you think the military has gone and the politicians have gone in terms of what they know and their communications with possible extraterrestrials? I think it's a totally fair question. Yeah. Um, it's something that I didn't want to ask for years and years. I mean, to me, it just for a long time, it seemed very premature for me to go there. I'm, I try to be very data-driven, very factually driven. Right. I try not to overreach with uh, the phenomenon. And a lot of people will love to point out that the U stands for unidentified, supposedly. We don't know what they are. Here's the thing with that. When you, when you have a national security apparatus that has been dealing with this for 70-plus years, provably, I think it's kind of silly to say that they have no idea what they're dealing with. I think they had a very good idea, particularly since um, I think there's overwhelming evidence that they have actually recovered some of these objects physically in terms of crash retrievals or however these have come to us. I think they've got a few. But to answer your question, we're speculating here clearly, but yep. what I would say is there has been more than enough time for our what do we call them, our elites, our black budget community, our national security superior, whatever we call them. Mm -hmm. They've had more than enough time, A, to get at least a basic handle on what they're dealing with, B, at least potentially to have some interaction. Now, I don't know for sure. I mean, there have been rumors and more rumors that this has been the case, and none of them... None of them, first of all, can be proven, obviously, but even, you know, I ask myself, is there a decent case for it? And all that I could say is, I would say it's possible, mm -hmm. but I don't know. Right. I would think it's, it wouldn't shock me after these many years that there has been a definite cover-up, that's the word, there has been a definite cover-up to go long enough that, yes, I think it's entirely possible. Well, then my question is to you as a researcher is how do you separate the fact, the provable, from the unprovable when there is so little to go on? And I'm not a, I don't ask that as a skeptic. I ask that as somebody who wants to know what can be trusted versus what is just way out there rumor. Right. Well, I love that question, and it's, uh, we always have to have that at the forefront. For me, I, I always make a point to distinguish what I know from what I think I know. Yeah. So what do I know? Well, what I know is that there have been thousands of declassified U.S. government documents on the subject of UFOs. Mm -hmm. And not just the U.S. government, but other, other national governments. And what I know is that they tell a consistent story, um, at least the better reports, tell a consistent story of U.S. Air Force jets attempting to intercept objects that look like flying saucers, that look like disks, because they're described in these documents as such, that can totally outperform the best aircraft we have. Mm -hmm. And that leaves the pilots scratching their heads. So there's enough of those over 70-plus years that, I mean, how dense does someone have to be? Pardon my saying this. Yeah. To keep thinking, well, we don't know what they are, or it could be anything. I mean, when you also see that these engagements 
were taken very seriously by the highest levels of our national security apparatus. So for me, I think we can say confidently that the UFO phenomenon is real and that it is anomalous. That is, we don't have any technology on, on the books that can explain this. And to, to say, as some people do, that, well, maybe it's some black budget experimental technology, that's always a cop-out. And the reason that it's a cop-out is because no one has any clue as to what that technology can be. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, well, we would just say the black budget community has magic. <laughs> you might as well say that. Because we don't know of what can stop on a dime, take off instantly, zigzag, instantly zoom up uh, in altitude or dive in altitude and then stop and all of these things. So it's a radical, revolutionary form of propulsion and probably energy consumption as well, or energy generation. So all of that, we don't know how to do. And I have tried to find out, like, do we have our top genius scientists? Can they figure it out? And it seems to me the answer is no. Now, it's possible that buried within that classified world, that have been breakthroughs, and I've often speculated about that. But the reality is what we can say we know is that the phenomenon is real and that our military is not responsible for it. And there doesn't seem to be, like, we're not talking Russia, we're not talking China, we're not talking the Brits, we're not talking anyone else. So there's no candidate, and yet someone's got it. So that's the process of deduction. If it is in America, if it isn't anyone else, I don't think it's outrageous to assume that there is another intelligence, another society, civilization that has come here and is interacting with us in some way. And I do believe that that's most likely. Now, between things that we don't know, there's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot of rumor. There's a lot of claims. And there's a lot of types of evidence that we can't be sure about. If someone believes they've been abducted, well, what do I do with that? Well, there are lots of these claims. Mm-hmm. Many, many, many claims. And I don't think it's responsible just to dismiss them out of hand, particularly when we, I think, can confidently say that there is a genuine UFO phenomenon that could very possibly be possibly be aliens. Mm-hmm. And if that is the case, then maybe it's not outrageous that there are people who think that they've been abducted, or even if not abducted, just had contact in one way or another, because there's a lot of that. So I leave all of that open. And... I guess what I would say, there, there was a ufologist who's no longer alive, a UFO researcher named Stanton Friedman. Mm-hmm. He was a very great, and he had a great expression that was uh, his gray basket. If you didn't know if something was true or not true, he said, well, I'll put that in my gray basket. Maybe true, maybe not. And you've got to have a gray basket. So you've got to be comfortable with some uncertainty in this field, mm-hmm. um, but always distinguishing what we know. So... It's tough. I'm not going to pretend that it's an easy thing to do, but I think it is possible to distinguish what we absolutely know from what we think we know, and that's always important to do. Well, that's what's interesting to me about Hangar 1, and I'm watching right now, I, I, I watched last night the episode about the transistor and about alien technology. Oh, and right, right. You have to, I have to wonder, and if it sounds like I'm playing devil's advocates for the, for the skeptics, forgive me in this question, but like, when you say that something like the transistor comes out of, of, uh, uh, when a show posits that something like the transistor could, co- could possibly have come from alien technology, 
doesn't that dismiss the real story that, you know, it was developed in Bell Labs off of the vacuum tubes? And where does the real story of the research into making better technology converge with this idea and this hypothesis that maybe alien technology is responsible for our mm -hmm. technological leap? Right. So th these are all good questions. Uh, related to the transistor, I, I don't know if mm -hmm. I believe that either, but there yeah. is a case, not Roswell, because everyone talks, likes to talk about Roswell and this till in 47. That could not possibly be responsible for the transistor, which was also patented the very same year. Yeah. It's way too soon. It's not possible. Uh, but there was a crash over the UFO, at least I think there was, and a lot of researchers think there was, back in 1941 in a place in Missouri known as Cape Girardeau. And mm. it's not as well known as Roswell, but there have been some witnesses who've gone on the record. One of them is still alive. She is the granddaughter of the primary witness. Her name is Charlotte Mann. I know Charlotte, and I have no doubt whatsoever that she is 100% truthful. She has a story that her grandfather, who was a pastor or minister, was present at, um, at this crash, which was in the state of Missouri. Long story short, um, the researcher, Dr. Bob Wood, has done some research on the Cape Girardeau crash and hypothesized, and uh, with not outrageously, that the technology was segued, at least some of the knowledge was segued into uh, research groups that ended up at Bell Labs. So, mm -hmm. That's possible. Uh, it may not be the case, but it is possible. I mean, I would hypothesize this. If the crash occurred, we would have to assume that our scientists would be looking at that to the best extent possible. And it's not that they would be taking alien tech and, and making that, like that would be the transistor. I seriously would doubt that. But what I do think does happen is that our scientists would see something that made no sense that would absolutely baffle them, but then that would spur ideas that could very well uh, spark certain innovations. And I think that's actually the most likely scenario with any acquired, uh, let's say, ET tech. Well, but it would probably be so different. But one, the key in any breakthrough with science is it, not necessarily the technology itself, but it's actually just knowing that something is possible in and of itself, and that could spur development. But beyond that, I don't know that the transistor is the best argument. Um, and we certainly don't want to minimize human innovation, obviously. Mm -hmm. That's a real story. But, but we can ask ourselves, maybe profitably, whether or not human tech and innovation got a boost from acquired ET tech. And I think that's a real possible scenario. Now you uh, and I and I one hundred percent agree. I, I actually I agree with that because I I would just hope that if we do get disclosure, the full disclosure eventually, that uh, that the scientists will be able to work much harder and much less covertly to develop that technology and to really utilize it to the full to its fullest potential because that's the thing that makes me the most angry is if it is out there and if they are working on it under cover of Area 51 or whatever, as somebody who wants to see our medicine, our technology advance, just just lay it all out on the table and, and make, it, make it into what we can use as quickly as you can. Well, I would agree with you philosophically. Uh, in reality, we don't live in that kind of a world. We never have. Uh, exactly. I used to maybe speculate that we did. And 
I would I would sometimes wonder the same thing. Like, if only the right man or the right woman would become president, and if only the right laws were passed, and if only this was, you know, and then we would have uh, a fair and honest and full disclosure of the reality of UFOs. And the reality, in my view, is that we don't have anything close to that world. We never did. And it doesn't matter which political party is running the show. Yeah. Not at all. So we, what we have is a system of what I've come to call legal illegality. Mm-hmm. That is, um, we don't even federal government isn't really where a lot of the power is. I think what we have is a system of uh, private contractors which have enormous sums of money and they have um, control, actually we know this provably, over the classified programs, we call them black budget programs, that are guarded by the Pentagon and that are also guarded by the CIA and that are also guarded by the Department of Energy. Those are the three areas where deep, deep classified tech programs reside. In fact, the DOE, the Department of Energy, may very well have the deepest secrecy of those three. Mm-hmm. between the Pentagon, CIA, and the Department of Energy. It's quite possible. The point is that private contractors like Lockheed Martin or Boeing or General Dynamics or General Electric or uh, on and on appear to have more power and control over these programs, even over the DOD liaisons. And that really our government exists so that massive moneyed contractors can get free tax dollars to do their research and make a lot of money and you and I pay for it and their motivation for releasing this data is less than zero. I had a, uh, I did an interview many years ago with a retired uh, Air Force colonel who worked on some highly classified programs, was a PhD, um, extremely brilliant man. He was very well versed in UFOs, had a lot to say about that. But the main thing here that he told me was about 15 years ago, he was um, present at a military hospital because he learned that there was a man who was dying who had been at Roswell. This was around 2005 or so. Uh, this colonel was allowed to go there. He was accompanied by a couple of Air Force police security people. And he gets to interview this guy who's, who's near death. Uh, colonel told me that he was very quickly persuaded that this guy was at Roswell. Like they, Everything checked out. They chatted and chatted, and at the end of the conversation, the colonel said something like, it's really a shame that you just can't tell your story. Wouldn't it be great if there was like a presidential executive order that could liberate you from your security arm? And he said the guy gave this humorless chuckle and said, huh, it would take a hell of a lot more than a presidential executive order to liberate me from my secrecy oath. At that point, I asked the colonel, I said, well, what do you think we're talking about here? He says, well, you you tell me. And clearly what we both realize is that there's power beyond the United States president on this matter. The president, whoever the president is bound, almost certainly by legal structures that prevent that individual, the president, from even opening this up. There's another story I have from another scientist that I know quite well who had a five-minute conversation with Bill Clinton back in the 90s when Clinton was president. Late 90s, Clinton's second term. The scientist told me, he said I was at an event I had five minutes (laughs) with the president. He was busy. 
uh, we chit-chatted, and he said, I came around at UFOs, and he was very indirect, but uh, Clinton caught on very quickly what he was driving at, and Clinton essentially said, yes, well, I wish that there was much, I wish that there was more that I could do about that, but my hands are tied, or words to that effect. Mm -hmm. I think that's quite consistent. So the president, president's job, you know, is to get in front of the camera, to kiss babies, to uh, meet foreign dignitaries and shake hands and and run for re-election and all of that. There are hundreds and hundreds of deeply classified, probably many of them are illegal programs that are run through what we call the black budget. And it is literally impossible for any person to monitor them all. It's just not possible. So they have to have plausible deniability and they definitely do not have legal authority um, in my my judgment to break through a lot of these programs that definitely includes UFOs. I don't, I don't think the presidents can really do much about it. Do you think it would take a president coming from the intelligence community who is bred in that, who has a CIA and a and a state background to get anywhere close to full disclosure? Uh, I'm not sure I'm a, so like a, a president with connections in the CIA, that yeah. type of thing. Yeah, as opposed to an outsider well, like a Trump or an Obama. Well, well, Trump couldn't do it. Trump is too much of an outsider, and the yeah. CIA and FBI tried to destroy him right out of the gate. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's astonishing to me, just as an aside, how all of uh, my lifelong very liberal friends who have a history of distrust of the CIA and FBI suddenly became CIA ass kissers the moment Trump became president. I thought, how did this, how did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> well, have you forgotten every single thing you ever learned? The answer is yes, I did. But um, so, no, like someone like Trump, he's way too disruptive and he's been opposed. Uh, maybe he is playing four-dimensional chess like some people think and he'll outsmart them, but I somehow doubt that. I don't think that will happen. Those people are very smart. Obama was always a team player. He could never, ever possibly uh, have ever made any motion on that. Mm-hmm. I always laughed when some alleged researchers kept claiming that Obama was going to be the disclosure president. I thought, whatever you're smoking, let me try some. Because <laughs> I'd love that optimism, too. Yeah. But you have no idea what you're talking about. The only president who actually had real intelligence community background, of course, was George Bush Sr., uh, way back in, you know, 89, and and it was rumored that George Bush Sr. did consider this, because this was the end of the Cold War, if you recall. Um, from what I was told, um, this actually made it very high up in the Bush cabinet. And people like Dick Cheney, who back then was, uh, I think Cheney was the Secretary of Defense, Hard, hardcore against it, hardliner against disclosure. Uh, the majority were, were against disclosure, and it just it didn't happen. Um, and, you know, you think at the end of the Cold War that might have been the best time to do it, right? But, um, but it didn't, if, if that story is to be believed. And I think that I believe it. Uh, I, that's not an archive. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, that's just something that came from someone who, Actually, a couple of people um, who believe that they were close to the source. So, take it for what it's worth. But no, I think, um, like, looking at the CIA, it's not that all the people in the CIA are corrupt, 
but the institutions itself is very deeply, deeply compromised and corrupt. Um, military intelligence, like what you have with all of these areas, are factions. So there's always there are always different factions, and we see this coming out in the last three years with the United States Navy's statements about you know the so-called Tic Tac UFO that people have heard about mm-hmm. the Navy's admissions. Uh, what you you know, if one has been really perceptive in looking at the various statements over the last few years, you can you can detect that there is a power struggle going on, with factions going on about the UFO subject, because there have been differing statements that have come out, with pro and con, and um, so I think that there are people within the military who have always wanted secrecy to end. There's always been that faction going back to the 1950s. My earlier uh, books of history detail this pretty well. I mean, back in the 1940s and 50s and 60s, there were always people within the U.S. military who believed that UFO secrecy was wrong and tried to get their voices heard, and usually they didn't. But it's always existed, and it exists today. So, you know, we're, we're not dealing with a monolithic entity, whether it's the U.S. government or the U.S. military or the CIA or whatever. So I think what what we would want to hope for is, well, a couple of things are going on. A, our, our world is changing technologically and culturally, mm-hmm. very radically. I mean, actually, almost too fast for, for this to be safe, in my view. Like the, the radical transformation of global society human society, human culture, technologies is so fast that it, it cannot help be, but be extremely disruptive. And I don't know that that's entirely good, but be that as it may, it's happening. Yeah. So in that type of situation, we, um, we're going to see opportunities break out. We're going to see opportunities for, you know, in the last, 15 years, we've seen organizations like WikiLeaks emerge. WikiLeaks could not possibly have emerged in the 20th century. There was no technological infrastructure that would have allowed it. But once we developed that infrastructure, lo and behold, we have WikiLeaks, and all this information came out. And and groups like Anonymous and, you know, hacktivists and things like that. So there, aside from the, the stuff just that we do legally, we talk to each other on Skype or we talk to each other on video chat around the world. We have the web, which is this unbelievable ability to share information, although it's now becoming very, very totalitarian, obviously, and it's level of control. But still, people are able to communicate in ways that are very powerful, and we're able to do this. So that will drive change, and that is driving cultural change. I mean, I've seen it myself in the last generation plus, when I first started researching UFOs, um, compared with now, it's, I feel it's much more open. I talk to people all the time about what I do. They're completely, totally into it. They love it. Uh, whereas 25 years ago, I think there were a lot of people more likely to raise their eyebrow and think, hmm, this guy's a little crazy. I don't get that anymore, not at all. So I think there's been cultural changes, and that will drive, um, you know, eventually... Eventually, I think it will drive political changes um, that might 
force something open. I don't know. I mean, I've been waiting yeah. so long. And in the last three years, I have seen a dramatic change mm-hmm. in how this subject is being handled by the mainstream establishment, you know, controlled media um, in a much more positive way. Without a doubt, a much more positive way. So that's good. Yeah. Um, you, uh, but you study. There's only so far they're going to go. Yes, go on. No, no, no. Uh, it's interesting you say that because I know you studied political ideologies. You have a degree uh, from Oxford. What do you think will happen politically, internationally, uh, when there is disclosure, when it is revealed? I'm not even going to say if because I, I truly believe. What do you think will happen politically to the to the world? I mean, will all of our squabbles seem insignificant? Or will it just tear us further apart? About 10 years ago, I wrote, a co-authored a book uh, on exactly that theme. It was called After Disclosure. And mm-hmm. we tried to sit down like a think tank as much as we could to figure out how, two questions really, how might UFO secrecy ever end? Like, could it end? And how could it end? And then the other question would be, and what then? <laughs> like, <laughs> what would happen if it were to end? Like, how would it rock our world? That was really what we wanted to figure out. And I don't know if we really could figure it out truly. Like, from my perspective, by, by the way, no one else is ever so foolish enough to try to write a book like that. But I will say, I think we did a, as good a job as as two people are going to do to try to predict something as crazy as UFO disclosure. And, we really try to break it down politically, economically, culturally, geopolitically. That's the stuff that I'm really very interested in. And how would it transform our world in terms of energy, in terms of science? Um, it would be in every way that we could imagine. We're talking absolute revolutionary mm-hmm. transformations would be underway. I mean, it would be very likely that if if we... Officially, we're to learn, yes, UFOs are real, and some of them are extraterrestrial. But let's, let's say that were to happen. It wouldn't take more than five or ten minutes for some people to realize, oh, wow, so those objects that can instantly accelerate and stop on a dime, those must be real. What source of energy are they using to go from point A to point B? It's probably not petroleum. And whatever that answer is, probably wouldn't take us that long to figure it out once we realize that there is an answer. Uh, I buy petroleum beer. We may be seeing that now anyway with uh, the collapse of the oil industry. But realistically, if oil is replaced, you just think about what that does on an international economic mm-hmm. and societal level. I actually don't think that there's a single analyst in this world who has really deeply tried to figure out all of those implications, and they are mind-boggling. But it would it would happen. So it would, you know, you have a global financial system, for example, which is, you know, the entire U.S. dollar is hinged on what we call the petrodollar system. The dollar is tied to oil internationally, and has been tied to oil since the 1970s, and that requires the United States to travel over every Middle Eastern nation that's got oil and to control their foreign policy, even though we pretend we don't control their foreign policy. You know, all of that stuff. So it has completely dominated U.S. foreign relations. Uh, it has caused the U.S. to lie <laughs> through its teeth about every single thing that it does internationally. Uh, 
but it, it's also caused the world to exist based on the extraction of this resource that is located in very specific ge geographic regions of the world. And so what if you discover that these flying saucers, whatever they want to call them, have something like what we might consider free energy? What if? Because that actually is probably the leading guess that most of the scientists have looked into this believe. They call it, there's different sciences here that may account for what they do, but none of them include petroleum, and all of them are better than petroleum. So we're automatically looking at a revolutionized world, and you tell me if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I have no idea. You might trust yourself with access to free energy for the rest of all time. You can heat your house forever for free or give yourself free air conditioning. or uh, But you might also be able to build a pretty nice weapon and blow up, I don't know, half the Pacific Ocean for all I know. Yeah. The technology might be there. And so would you trust all of your neighbors or everyone in your city or everyone in the world? Probably not. The implications of that are actually really scary, and very few people think this through. But it is very likely, in my view, that there are black-budget scientists who have thought about this. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not trying to give them reasons to the secrecy, but I have, to, I have to be honest and just tell myself, if that's part of the equation, yeah, it's not hard to see why they would want to hold that card back a little bit from the rest of us. But in terms of other uh, things that would happen, disclosure, how would it affect global society? Well, I think global society would be most affected by the economics and by uh, you know, the military implications of this, and I think culture would probably follow. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's a real wild card. It is. And I used to be more confident, you know, 10 years ago in thinking and trying to envision how it would turn out. And I'm not so sure how confident I am at this point. I think it would be a, a real mess. But but here's the other thing. We are in a situation, culturally, politically, intellectually, where we are basically being treated like five-year-olds. Spoon-fed BS. Yeah. Spoon-fed spoon BS lies yeah. from, from, from when we're born until we die. Yeah. And it's the truth. Um, so the question is, do we do we want that, or do we want to get out of that? Mm -hmm. It's a really important question to ask, because our instinct to say, yes, of course we want to get out of it. But, but do most people want the real truth? And I grew up in a very, like, not very well-educated uh, family, not a very well-educated community. Most of the people I grew up with, and these are the people I love more than anyone in the world, they're the best people, but they're not university grads. They're yeah. regular folks. They have jobs. Um, and some of them would be into it. Some of them would really want to know. And a lot of them wouldn't care. A lot of them don't want that. They've got their family. They've got their situation. Whatever they're doing, like they've got things to do that are important for them. And dealing with the fact that there may be a highly advanced, ultra-telepathic, incredibly uh, different species that is here interacting with planet Earth and some of our people, maybe a lot of our people, that's not something that 
probably they want to have right. in their lives. Well, let me, Not everyone's got a tolerance for it. Yeah, let me ask you this. This might be a little too speculative for you, but again, these are the things that as somebody fascinated by this whole thing, uh, by this whole phenomenon and having not researched it as extensively as you that I'm curious about because it's probably what you guys get hit over the head with the most. Why are UFOs, aliens, extraterrestrials, these phenomenons, you talked about the possibility, the gray matter of, of abductions earlier. Why are these extraterrestrials, if they are out there, behaving in a manner that our world institutions could cover it up because that's probably the main question that that the lay person has right why aren't they just bringing that big flying saucer right over the continental united states and revealing themselves once and for all has that been has that side of the coin of are, are, you, are you asking you broke up on the side but you're asking why the secrecy it just seems i don't know i might be asking a very very stupid question but it's uh, no. it's it's how why, if it's been, re let me just start overall, I will edit, how these aliens, if they are out there, why they are mm -hmm. behaving in a manner that allows our world governments to cover it up. I mean, because the argument could be made that if they wanted to be known, they would, and they wanted to explore our world, they would just oh, reveal themselves. Very good. You know? I think you're, you've asked several really good questions here, and this is one of them. So it's not why are our government agencies covering it up. That, that I have a lot of answers for. Yeah, but why are these other beings behaving in such a way? Yeah. Well, I've wondered about this a lot, so I'm going to offer a couple of possibilities. Sure. One is that it would be a huge hassle for them mm -hmm. to make themselves known. Like that's really possible, especially now. Like it's entirely possible that we have been subject to long-term observation by other beings, but. I've come to believe, and this is just my belief, that the observation in earlier eras was a little more limited mm -hmm. than it is today. And I think once the 20th century happened, we developed nuclear technology, we had a lot of electromagnetic uh, leakage out of space, and some serious warfare and computers and all of that. I think, yeah, we got their attention. And what it looks like to me is that there's greatly heightened activity that is going on. So, um, but, I mean, you look at our world. So we've got about 200 specific sovereign nations. I mean, mostly dominated by the U.S., but nonetheless, we have 200 countries or so, more or less. We've got uh, a lot of open hostility among peoples of the world. We don't get along. We've got um, our own ideological craziness that we're dealing with these days. And we've got, like, we don't, we're kind of aggressive. Yeah. We may not be as aggressive as other ETs, by the way. I think a lot of times we beat ourselves up over the fact that we were aggressive. I mean, we kind of have to be aggressive. We're we're a biological species that are predators, and that's what predators do. And and by the way, if you want to have inventions, if you want to have innovation, well, you probably need a certain amount of aggression. Sorry to say it. Yeah. You at least have to be very assertive. But But... But the fact is that we are kind of scary, and we've got nukes, and we are developing very strong AI really soon. And if they were to announce themselves, maybe that would be a huge hassle, for for good or for ill, whatever their motives are. So that's one thing. Another thing would be 
if we were studying a group of, I don't know, gorillas in the jungles of Africa, it's not like we're going to walk off to the dominant gorilla there and put up our hands and say, hey, I'd like to establish diplomatic relations with you. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't happen because they don't think like we do. We don't think like they do. And all the indications are that these other beings don't think like us. Mm-hmm. They're not like us. And it may not be easy or possible for them to have a kind of an open relationship the way that we might imagine, you know, like in some of the movies we've had, Take Me to Your Leader. Like that, I don't think is probably realistic. I think um, what if they are the creation an artificial creation that's partly genetic, partly technological, like a cybernetic organism. Do they even have mothers and fathers? Are they, are they, do they nurse at their mother's breasts like a mammal does it in developing love and bonding with their parents the way that mammals do? What if they're not like that? What if they don't react psychologically the way that we do? They don't think the way we do, which I believe is probably the case. So, they would be truly psychologically alien. doesn't mean that we wouldn't be able to have a communication, but it just might not be the case. There might also be other factors going on here. Um, they seem to be able to have a mastery in some way or another over, um, boy, we're getting into some fringe science here, but yeah. they seem to have a mastery over space and time mm-hmm. in ways that we don't know how to master. So they pop in and pop out of our realities pretty easily, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then there's the possibility, which a couple of researchers really believe very strongly about, which is that at least one group is here for nefarious purposes, and they don't want to be here. And they're creating a, a race of hybrid, hybridized alien humans mm. to infiltrate our society. That's a theory. Is it, is it true? Well, I, I don't know if it's true, but I do know that there's a number of people who believe that they've had encounters with these types of things. And so you've got this whole, it's a messy field. Yeah. Like this is the messy part. There's, there's the neat part, the clean part, that is the documents that show airspace violations over this space and over that space. And mm-hmm. all of that we've got. But then we get into this netherworld of really difficult cases. But I have to say, like, some of that seems legitimate to me. And there does seem to be secretiveness, not simply on the part of our governments, but on the part of these beings. Um, but I don't, I haven't convinced myself whether it's for positive or negative reasons. Like, I, I often think, like, if, if you and I and maybe some friends of ours were to go back in time 1,000 years mm-hmm. to some medieval society, right? knowing all the things that we know, how much of our world could we explain to those people without their heads exploding from, from what we tell them? Right. Like, not very much. Could we tell them that the Earth is round? I don't know. Maybe not. Could we tell them that the Earth is billions of years old? Don't think so. Could we tell them that the Earth revolves around the sun? Seriously doubt that. <laughs> There's all these things. Could we tell them about microorganisms or whatever? And, and that's our own species a mere thousand years from us in time. And we would 
not really be able to tell them much uh, unless we want to bring the, the torches and pitchfork crowd after us. Like, they would not know what to do with us. There might be a couple of very few geniuses in that society who would be willing to listen. Yeah. So I, I think if, if we're lucky, these beings have our better interests at heart in their withholding for that reason. But it could also be that they've, they've got their own reasons for secrecy that are not necessarily to our benefit. And in my view, it could be both of those things because it could be very well more than one uh, source might be here right now. I think that I think our planet and our species is very, very interesting right now. Yeah. Right now. Which brings me if to. We've always been, you know, we've got our opposable thumbs and our big brains and we can think about things. But in the last century, we've developed some serious technology, and I think we've gotten a lot of interest. I, I agree with you. Which brings me to, I have two more questions for you. This first one kind of sets up my last question is, of those videos and of what uh, has been disclosed by the military that they are unidentified aerial phenomenon, do you think it is a, a black budget thing from another, their black budget crafts from another country or something we've developed, or do you think they could be extraterrestrial? I think um, it's probably not ours. Mm. I don't think we're making these things. They call them UAP nowadays. That's the yeah. more politically correct, you know, rather than UFO. But And they have this little fairy tale of like, well, we don't know what these things are. They keep saying this over and over again. Mm-hmm. No one believes that. We live in a world of enforced fictions where you and I are supposed to believe lies mm-hmm. and we're supposed to just politely pretend that these lies are true. So we're not supposed to politely pretend that the military doesn't know what UFOs are. Yeah. And they damn well know what UFOs are, but they pretend this. So um, if, if the UFO phenomenon only existed in our own century, you know, since the year 2000 or so, mm-hmm. I would be inclined to think Oh yes, well we we're probably we probably are building them, and it's the technology is a radical, revolutionary breakthrough, and it's still secret. But the fact is that the encounters that we know that the Navy has admitted to from 2004, from 2015, yeah, at a minimum, those are entirely consistent in every way with cases that we know about from the 1940s that mm-hmm. they were encountering, not just the Navy, but the Air Force and the Army. They all were. So that this is not brand new technology. The, the 2004 Tic Tac UFO, which took off from away from the pilot, uh, Commander David Fravor, at a speed probably more than 10,000 miles per hour. Those types of speeds, that was 2004, those types of speeds are being recorded in the 1940s by yeah. professional measurements, instruments known as theodolites that are highly technically proficient, uh, skilled, but exact, I should say, and were being used at that time. And they were recording objects, I mean, multiple thousands of miles per hour that looked just like Tic Tacs, and looked just like disc-shaped objects. So I don't believe that we're making them. Mm-hmm. I do think that we've got some advanced uh, designs that are classified. I do believe that, but so you, I, so you believe I Bob? don't think that we're making all these things. So you believe Bob Lazar? 
Yeah, I think I do. Um, mm-hmm. I believe Bob Lazar, of course, famously went uh, to a place he called S4, south of Area 51, back in 1988, 89. And, yeah, um, I believe that story. My last question for you, yeah. it kind of mm-hmm. encapsulates why I wanted to talk to you, is why now? Why is the Navy releasing, saying, yeah, we have no clue. We don't know what these are, but they're real. Why are we seeing that? You mentioned yeah. that, that rift right now that you're seeing and what you're reading. Why now? What about... Because it's, it's, it's toothpaste out of the tube. That's yeah. why. It's already gone now. In other words... Um, the organization on TTSA, that is Tuba Stars Academy, fronted by the singer Tom DeLong of Blink-182, mm-hmm. he, you know, he's been into UFOs for a long, long time, and he was able to get a, uh, a team of some very qualified scientists and in- intelligence community people on board with him. Uh, I know some of these guys, and they, I can tell you, they are very interested in the UFO subject, mm-hmm. always have been. Now, um, what they obviously did, and I say obviously to me, it's obvious, is that they are a private faction with good connections within the government. They're not, it's not a CIA operation, as some have said, it's not a government operation, but it is a private initiative leveraged with some very useful connections within the government to get I don't want to say t- disclosure. I don't think they're looking for disclosure, but they are interested in opening up the UFO subject to some extent. That's what it looks like. And um, so, where was I? I'm trying to remember my train of thought here. Golly. Um, it's out of the tube. So, what was your, what was the full last question? I, I want to, do this the right way, and I just cannot remember exactly what you were No, asking. I just said, why now? What geopolitically? Oh, why now? Why now? Yeah. Why, why now? So, yeah. So, so the reason is that TTSA themselves are piggybacking on top of all the previous 20-plus years of research that's been going on, and they're piggybacking on top of the fact that we're able to communicate in ways that were not possible 20 years ago, like Skype broadcasts and webinars and all this stuff. They were able to get their message out. And they were also, I mean, all of this is really because Luis Elizondo was able, back in 2017, to get those three videos cleared for release, and he was able to do it in a very clever way. Mm-hmm. He didn't really let the Navy explicitly know these were UFO videos. He didn't use that kind of language when he was getting them released back in 2017. And he had a couple of friends within the Freedom of Information Act office, it appears. And the next thing you know, boom, these three amazing UFO videos, at least were partially cleared for release. And the Navy was caught flat-footed. They were not expecting this. It shocked everyone in the military. This was the thing. It came out in 2017 and 2018, all through the auspices of TPSA. And the Navy for several years, wouldn't say anything about these videos. Mm-hmm. And they dragged their feet, but the fact was, the videos are out. Like, there's no realistic way to deny them. Yeah. So really what we're seeing with the Navy's recent admission is 
simply recognizing the reality of the situation, which is that the videos are out there. Like, it would be stupid and pointless to pretend that they're not legit, which they are totally legit. And so that's really all you're seeing. It's, it's an admission of what has already been, been obvious. The real question that I want to know for the future is, will there be any forward motion next? And I think it's entirely possible that there will be. Um, but that won't come from the military on a voluntary basis. It will have to come from inside connections that, whether it's TTSA or some other group, is able to get. So I guess they're able to get another admission or another release, maybe of another video or two or some other document. Like The more that there are leaks coming out, the more likely we're going to see an admission. Now, I will just tell you the last thing that I'm probably going to wrap up. About a year ago, I helped to publicize the leak of a document that is very, very important and, and um, composed by a couple of names, but let's just call it the Thomas Wilson document. Mm-hmm. Some people call it the Eric Davis notes of Thomas Wilson. Long story short, Thomas Wilson was a high-level person in the Clinton administration in the late 90s. He was head of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And what we know, we absolutely know, is that Thomas Wilson met, uh, had a meeting with uh, former astronaut Dr. Edgar Mitchell, who's a friend of mine, no longer alive, met a researcher named Stephen Greer back in 1997, and they talked about black budget programs to reverse engineer ET tech. They talked to him about that. That happened. What we are pretty darn sure about afterward is that Wilson looked into it after the meeting and for several months knocked on a bunch of doors and found the program and was denied access because he did not have a need to know. And the people who denied him access were not even Defense Department people. They were the contractors. They were the security manager, the corporate attorney, and the program manager of this black budget program that was reverse engineering ET tech. Five years after that all happened, Doctor, a doctor by the name of Eric Davis met with Thomas Wilson uh, for a little over an hour, it appears, and took detailed notes of their conversation. I saw those notes back in 2006, but I was not allowed to keep them. I was not allowed to uh, publicize them or anything like that. I did talk about them from time to time, though, without all the detail that once they were leaked in 2019, all 15 pages, I only saw two or three pages, all 15 pages came out and they caused a big ruckus. And I believe the story on that is not done. The mainstream media has not touched this story yet. But I think keep your finger on the pulse of this one because at some point, this is going to be the subject of big media. And when it does, it's going to be very difficult to deny this story. There's way too much information um, inside it. So um, so I think all of these, that's that's more toothpaste out of the tube. Yeah. Like, the more these leaks happen, this is what will force the United States military apparatus to have to make admissions. And they'll only make the admissions that they believe they have to make to shut the rest of us up. <laughs> they're they're going to have to be dragged kicking and screaming 
you know, like a protester at an event, like the police has dragged them away. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's going to have to happen. The military is not going to cooperate. They'll mm-hmm. never cooperate mm-hmm. until and unless they think that they can get something out of it. And right now it's it's a secret that's gone on for so long. There's no – it's hard for them to imagine how they're going to win on this one. There's too, many, there's too much illegality that's happened. There's too many, too many dirty hands. And and there's too much disruption that will occur. But, you know, here's the thing. Everyone thinks that they're in charge. Everyone thinks that they're running. They make the decisions. And my opinion is that no one is in charge and no one's able to make the decisions. And we're, we're, we're riding down a rapid river. <laughs> it's <laughs> taking us to a destination, like it or not. And I think part of that destination will include more open acknowledgement about this reality. It's too much to deny. Well, I think that's where we're moving. Whether it's going to be happy or an unhappy situation, whether it will heal or exacerbate a lot of the issues and dissension that we have in our world, that's a whole other issue. I don't, I don't know that it will fix anything. It may just create new problems because we're really good at creating problems. Well, I personally have a feeling you're right, and I, I hope you're right, because it's something I would like to see in my lifetime. Richard Dolan, this was a pleasure beyond words. Thank you so much. This was enlightening. I really, oh, really appreciate I enjoyed it. it. Thank you, Richard. To learn more, click the link below on talkfor2.com or visit richarddolanpress.com. That's it for us today. Remember, you can always check out talkfor2.com for the latest episodes. Also, subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook at talkfor2 and Instagram at talkfor2pod. Reach out to me directly at talkfor2cast at gmail.com. Tomorrow, pathologist Cyril Wecht and investigative reporter Brian Ross as Mystery Week continues. Signing off, I'm Matt Bailey, reminding everyone out there to keep talking for two. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com. <laughs>